I uh, would like to thank my designer, who is the Springfield Walmart, for this fantastic sweater in the women's extra, extra large section. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure if my dog is one of Santa's helpers or if it just came from Mardi Gras. So, but either way, it's fantastic. One of our, some of our folks after the first service were like, we're really trying to focus on you throughout the service, but that's actually our dog on that sweater, and we have that dog at home. We can bring it for the second service, and it can sit on stage with you if you want. I was like, that would be pretty epic. I'm sure they would love that. But anyway, no, hope that, uh, hope you're having a little fun uh, with that this morning and uh, getting some good pictures. I asked Penny if he'd done many handstands so far this morning, and apparently he's done a lot of them, and he said he's hurting. But uh, so if you get a chance... Uh, you missed the rules, it's all on Facebook, so uh, check, the, check the church page, but uh, anyway, fun stuff. Um, so yeah, glad you're here this morning. I, I know that uh, there'll be mention made of it later in the service, but I'll make mention of it now too. Uh, we have a service tomorrow night, our Christmas Eve service, uh, and uh, just if you've never been to our Christmas Eve service before, just so that you know, uh, it's like, it, it turns into like a standing room only situation, so uh, you may want to get here just a little early or whatever, but it's at 8 p.m. tomorrow night. We would love for you to be here. Uh, some awesome things planned uh, for tomorrow night and kind of closing out uh, our time in our Christmas series that we've been uh, doing called Starlight and uh, uh, just getting together and celebrating uh, the birth of our Savior, uh, celebrating Jesus and worshiping Him. That's that's what tomorrow night's about. And so I uh, hope that you're able to be here uh, and get to be with us uh, for that. Uh, so uh, pretty excited about that. So yeah, uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into this. If you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and get it out. If you don't have a Bible, uh, get one from our ushers. They will bring uh, one to you. Just throw your hand up and let them get one to you. Uh, if you don't own one, it's a gift. You can keep it. We'd love for you to have it. And uh, it is so weird having this stuff on the front of my chest. Uh, so like, I just, I can't, like the whole first service, I would be like looking at the scripture and be like, what is going on right there? It's so strange. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, so yeah. Uh, so yeah, this passage that we're looking at uh, today uh, Matt, in the book of Matthew, if you want to go to the book of Matthew, uh, is, uh, is kind of this uh, culmination of the things that we've been talking about uh, in, in what we see uh, happening through the birth of Jesus and kind of leading up to that even. And, uh, and, and so, you know, oddly enough, you know, it, we, we kind of have all these things that we've made the nativity about, you know, and that picture-esque, you know, thing that we've got going on of what we like to think of, you know, baby Jesus and, you know, all the people that are there and everything. And, uh, and the truth is, is that some of that may get a little bit busted up with uh, the passages that we're studying through today because uh, some of it brings, I think, to light some of the more truth of, of just timing of some of that. And uh, the wise men probably weren't there, you know, you know, right there at like manger time and all that. We, and we've got reason to believe that from the scriptures, and we'll, we'll study that in just a second. Uh, so, which uh, kind of maybe kind of is more understanding why that church I saw in Kentucky a couple weeks ago, 
their uh, they had their uh, disco uh, disco seventies you know plastic nativity set up in the I think it was the wise men that were like laying on the ground like a crime scene or something so but um, you know maybe that was why I don't know uh, but anyway we'll, we'll we'll look into that in fact let's let's jump into this this morning uh, and see uh, what this see what this has for us today Matthew chapter one verse eighteen and we have this it says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Okay, so, uh, you know, I think that, you know, first of all, there. As I study the story of, of uh, the birth of Christ and all that, one of the things that I'm constantly thinking about and I'm challenged with is that I'm constantly being reminded that God had this grand plan. You know, and, and, and that the plan is continuing to unfold. It's continuing to unfold today, even for us, but at this point in time, it especially was unfolding in some very important ways, that God had, had planned all these certain things uh, to happen a certain way, the way they were going to happen, uh, and, and all with a purpose. And, and so, you know, we, you, we live in a world, obviously, where uh, there's a lot of people that might say, well, I love Jesus, but, uh, you know, I don't believe in, like, the virgin birth and things like that. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, I completely believe in the virgin birth. I completely believe in what the Scriptures teach us. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's an unwavering thing that we see constantly uh, throughout the Gospels that this is what happened. And so I, 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 tr- I wholeheartedly believe in it. And, and people say, well, how in the world would that happen? That could never happen or whatever. And I just say, well, I mean, do we believe that God can do all things or do we not? You know, I mean, if he wants to do something crazy like that, you know, then he can, you know, and I totally believe that. Uh, and in fact, and we'll kind of you know we'll kind of talk a little bit about this today. But I believe that God calls us as people a lot of times to be a part of crazy things. If you look at if you look at the story of the birth of Christ, almost everybody involved somehow within that story is a part of something crazy going on. And 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 this is this is no different. So we've got Mary who is betrothed to be with Joseph. And she's found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. In other words, God has given her a child without her having any sexual relations with anyone. I mean, this is, this is a complete God thing, obviously. And it's not some, you know, excuse for what has happened. And, you know, she was, you know, out whatever, you know, and this kind of thing. That, that's not the case. I mean, this is, the, and again, because we have the different, the different things that we have from all the Gospels, you put all that together. I mean, I really believe that this is what happened. And it said in verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So, so suddenly, you know, and, and of course, this is, not, this is not the Christmas story that we like to focus on sometimes, but I think it's an important part of the story. I think it's an important part of what God planned and what God was doing. And, and, and as a part of this story, what we see is we, and to kind of take us back to historically what that would have meant and been like, first of all, Mary being betrothed to Joseph looked like this. So this was kind of one of those like, you know, set up, you know, type things like my kid's going to marry your kid kind of thing, which by the way, I hear, I hear some of our parents like here talk about that sometimes. They're like, yeah, I think, you know, I'm hoping my kid will marry that kid. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, it's a little weird. You know, like, I don't know about, it's kind of strange. But, you know, whatever. And so, you know, but, uh, you know, so we got this like understanding that, that 
she was supposed to marry Joseph, okay, and to be betrothed meant that she was promised to him, but when at the point that they were officially betrothed, they actually started calling each other husband and wife, and they were referred to as a husband and wife, but they were not yet married. So even them themselves, they had not had sexual relations. That wouldn't have, that wouldn't have happened at that point in time. This is, you know, and Mary's been away. You got to remember too, like Mary's been away, she's been with her cousin and all this stuff happening and, you know, all this is going on. And then she comes to see Joseph and Joseph, you know, finds out she's divorced or whatever. And he's like, well, you know, everything's off, you know, but i tell you what, I'm going to resolve, you know, it sounds harsh to us a little bit that it says that he would resolve to divorce her quietly, but here's the truth. And this is a sad truth, but it's the truth that a woman at that point in time who might have been with child out of wedlock would probably, this is crazy, would probably have been stoned to death. So Joseph is showing compassion toward her, and he's like saying, look, I don't want that to happen to you. I care for you. Uh, you know, obviously he's not, he's not fully understanding what's going on, but he's going to. So Joseph's going to come along here in just a minute. But, I, but again, I think it's just good for us to kind of see there's a whole lot going on in the story of God and what he's doing uh, just through this young couple right here. And it says in verse 20, it says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I want to read verse 21 again. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, it goes on, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And as we see the prophet being uh, referenced here, it's talking about Isaiah, okay? Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph woke from sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we think, you know, if, if this happened today, they'd go on Mari, you know? I don't know when the last time was you saw a good episode of Mari. It's been a little while for me, but I'm pretty sure it's still the same pretty much equation. Every episode of Mari is you are not the father or you are the father, you know? And, 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 and here's this picture that is entering in the birth of the Savior of the world, the Son of God, in such a way that when we look at this as a whole, it just seems nuts. It seems crazy. I mean, you think, you think, think, about, think about it like this. Think about, think about uh, um, we had John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, uh, uh, who had a dream. Also, 
Uh, like, he had to be told, uh, he's talking about uh, Mary, Elizabeth, uh, both of them, same kind of things, angels involved, you've got babies, they're going to go on to do great things, uh, you know, all of this stuff. And now Joseph, same thing, you know, God's leading them and telling them, look, you need to chill, it's going to be okay, this seems like craziness, but I've got this. And I think for us, as believers, I think, I think that we're there a lot of days, I think a lot of times we feel God leading us to do stuff, but we're afraid of it. We get scared of it or whatever it is, and and it comes down to a lot of times because the things that God leads us to do sometimes just seem crazy. If I think back on my years in ministry and, 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 and just my walk with the Lord in general, the things that God has called me to do that I can clearly look back, and, and I can just be honest with you, I don't know that I've been faithful to him at all times with following through with everything I think that he's called me or led me to do, but the things that he's called me or led me to do that I have followed through with, I look back on, and the majority, if not every single one of them, probably seem like things that were crazy to the majority of people maybe around me, uh, or maybe, if, if nothing else, just to the world. Because it felt like I'd just gone out and, you know, shared with somebody else. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had over the years of like, you know, uh, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. Okay, that sounds like a a cush deal. You got a nice office and this, that, and do whatever, you know, and like, uh, yeah, okay. And uh, and they're like, yeah, you know, so how how old's your church? Well, we started that church. You started a church? Why did you do that? Like people, people that don't know Jesus, people don't understand you know, why, why you was, you know, and so I began to explain, well, you know, uh, this, that, and other, and give them 15 reasons why you start churches. You know, God has a way of leading us to do things that oftentimes just seem crazy. I mean, when God, when God began to, to burn in my heart that we were going to start a church, that one thing alone, I struggled with that. I struggled with that, you know, because when I at first began to think about ministry, I thought, I thought God was going to use us to continue to do youth ministry, which we had done for almost 10 years at that point. And I really thought, you know, well, God's going to have us to be a part of a church that's like what he was putting in my head. And, and we would continue in youth ministry. And, and I, by the way, I love youth ministry, and I think anybody that gets to do youth ministries. Uh, luckiest people, whatever, and include kids ministry in that too. Uh, there's so much fun to be had. There's so and, and so much joy and, and excitement and all those things, and it should be, uh, you know. But I was, you know, I was like, you know, hey, let's just keep on. We're just, we're just going to keep on doing student ministry. I'm going to be a part of a church that looks like some of these things that God has placed on my heart and put in my head. And you know, we'll just continue, you know, uh, having kids eat pizza, thrown up on stage, and leading them to Jesus. Like this is like the greatest thing ever. Like let's just keep doing that. You know, this is fun. You know. And, you know, I had grown up in the home of a pastor, and there's all kinds of stuff that people have absolutely zero idea about when, when you're a pastor. If you've ever grown up with a pastor, if you've ever been close friends with a pastor, you've probably seen, like, little bits here and there of some of that stuff. I remember, I remember opening the door to the garage at my parents' house one day when I was a teenager to a man that was standing there who I knew that my dad had done the world for this guy, like ministered to this guy, loved on this guy, like been there, been there for his family and all stuff. And I opened the door to this guy, like bawling my dad out and like screaming at his face. And like I opened the door and I was like big enough and old enough at that point where like I like opened the door and like in that moment, like the, 
this is my dad? You're talking to my dad like this? Like, I didn't say anything, but like I gave the look like, I'm about to kill you right now. Like, you know, and like, I just stood there. And like, dad was like, it's all right, you know? And, and I, I was like, and I, and I just stood there. I just kept standing there, you know? And I was like, everything okay? And he's like, everything's okay. You can go back inside. And I was like, all right. And I like shut the door. But I mean, I didn't want any part of that. I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be a part. I don't want, I don't want to deal with stuff like that. That's not, and my dad's like the most loving, kind person in the world, you know? I'm an idiot compared to him, like 10,000 times more of an idiot. And not near as kind. And I know it. You know, but all that to say, you know, even those things seem crazy to me. Like sometimes God leads us and calls us into moments of life that feel crazy. The story of God is a crazy story that he constantly is weaving and working through in all these crazy ways. Why? For his glory. For his glory. Because let's just face it. I mean, if it was just simple stuff, we just go, I, you know, I did that. Or, yeah, oh, yeah, it's a, a you know. That's just, that just happened on its own or whatever. No, when we see stuff like Jesus was born of a virgin, we go, that's of God. That's of God. Verse 21, and the angel tells Joseph, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. Like that had to be just an amazing news for Joseph. Like, I'm, I'm wondering if he really even completely understood what was going on. I'm wondering if he even like, could fathom, like, even in the moment, like, like, what does that really mean? Because, again, all of the people of God, all the people in general that had been looking for the Messiah to come were still looking for, like, this political, like, Savior who is going to free them from, op- from oppression, you know, and against the man and all this, you know, all of that stuff. That's what they were looking for. They weren't, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't on their radar that God was going to send his son to free them from sin. Let me say that again, to free them from sin. Like I, how big of a, you can't get a bigger statement than that. It says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, and he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And Joseph was just like, okay, it's on. Let's go. Let's ride. Let's do it, you know? And man, what would our lives be like if when God leads us to do something and he burns in our hearts something so heavy that we can't let it go, that we just go, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to put my life in danger. I don't know, you know, but I'm in. I'm with you. Let's go. Let's go. When I study the story of the Christ child coming to earth, God humbling himself as a child, literally taking on not just the form of man, but the form of a baby, like humbling himself in that way. 
there's this amazing thing that I see. I see the plan unfolding. I see God's plan unfolding. I see the promises that God is keeping, like one after another. Like what, you know, and that's why that's why when you read through the Gospels and you read through the story of Christ coming, like over and over, you have like these little these little segues of like as the prophet said and as it was told before, and to keep true to the word, you know, all of these things. And then here's the little thing: it's pointing back to all of these things where hundreds of years before God laid it on somebody's heart that it would be pinned to be a part of His word that we would see and know that this wasn't just some haphazard thing, but it was part of the plan that God loves us so much that he would send his son as the light of the world. It's truly amazing. God is making a way for us through Jesus to be a part of his family, to be forgiven, to be free. You know, I mean, those, those are huge pieces of the puzzle. That's our life. Like, what's our life without that? What's our life without Jesus? You know, that's a completely different life that I, I can't even fathom. I can't, I, I would be, I would be so, I would be, oh, I'm an idiot now. I can't even imagine what it would be like without Jesus. So the story continues. And as the story continues, we have in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 the story of the wise men, you know, the wise men. We love the wise men. The wise men, they've got, how can you not love the wise men? They're wise, right? They've got gifts. What's not to love, you know? They're part of the manger scene, but they're not really. Verse 1, let's check it out. It says this, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So they see the star in the sky and they come to worship him. Now, if you and I had someone knock on our door tonight and say, hey, um, I was wondering if you could help me. I'm following this star and I'm trying to get to where this baby was born so that I can go worship it under the star. And you and I would go, oh, okay, hold on just a second. Let me call somebody real quick about that. 911, what's your emergency, right? Be like, we got some crazy people standing on our porches, and they've got gifts that's not for us, and they're following a star. Can you help us out? We need the police here as quickly as possible. Again, every part of the story seems crazy when you take it and you break it down and you just try to like examine and go, oh, that's what's going on. Okay, that's crazy. But it goes on. Verse 3, it says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the, where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. Here we go again, right? And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a, shall come a ruler who will, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Let's talk about Herod for just a minute. Herod the king, 
also known as Herod the Great, and he's known with a lot of things. A lot of them not being good, just to be honest with you. Like, I mean, he, yeah, he's known for like starting cities and uh, uh, all kinds of, you know, industrial things and all that kind of stuff too. But uh, like we're talking about a guy that when anybody like got cross with him, when anybody got in his way, he just had him killed. Case in point, uh, some of his siblings, some of his own children, and his wife. At, at some point along the way, he'd killed all of them, okay? So we've got a guy who's got serious king issues, okay? He's got serious king issues. Like, he doesn't want to be threatened that there might be someone else that might be a king, like, coming to, like, take his throne, you know, kind of deal. And so he's been hearing for a long time the talk of this, like, you know, one that's going to come that would be king of the Jews. And so, you know, when he finds out that these guys are coming through town because they're following a star and that they're headed toward, you know, trying to find him to worship him, you know, he's, he's on this and not, in, and not in a good way. Now, he's going to lie because he's a big fat liar, okay? He's going to lie through his teeth in just a minute. We're going to see that. In fact, let's just go ahead in verse 8. It says, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may too, that I, that I too may come and worship him. Big fat liar. Herod's a big fat liar. Okay. He's not wanting to go and worship Jesus. He wants to go and kill Jesus. And he's got, I mean, he's got no problem doing it and is willing to, to, to no end stop at trying to kill the one who he's heard about that might be called king of the Jews. So going back to verse 7, when Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, why is he asking that? What time the star appeared? Well, what's, what's it matter what time the star appeared? You know, what time the moon show up tonight? I don't know. You know, what time did the star appear? Herod is asking something specific here. He's, he's believing in everything that had been prophesied before, that the Messiah was coming, this king of the Jews. And he himself is like, I gotta take, I've got to take action. I've got to take this into my own hands. I've got to find out exactly when this baby was born. That's why it matters when the star appeared. The starlight, the starlight was so important that it was going to literally give him an idea of how old this child would have been if he could track back exactly when that star appeared. Verse 9, it says, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So here's you know, part of the reason why we have an understanding that Mary and Joseph are no longer 
you know, with baby Jesus in the manger. I know this kind of blows up, you know, our nativity scenes or whatever. It's not really meant to. It's not, I don't think that's what I'm trying to do here. But uh, I think it's just interesting for us to know a little more detail, like what was going on. It's actually believed that Jesus at this point may have been like one or two years old. Um, you know, by the time that they're getting to him. They, we don't know how long they journeyed. We don't know how far they went. Uh, but, it, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, hey, let's just jump in the car and ride down the street, you know, or something, just following this thing. Jesus, still a child, obviously, but they are in a house. And it says they go into the house. They weren't where Jesus was born, we're pretty sure. But we have this picture of these guys going and being a part of the story that God had created from the very get-go of the world that he knew he was going to send his son for the sins of the people of the world in which he had created that he loved. You know, I, I think... I think back again to Joseph, and I just think, man, did Joseph really know like, what was really going on when he first heard those words, that, that his son would take on the sins of the world? My sin, your sin, all the stuff that we've jacked up intentionally, accidentally, from yesterday, today, tomorrow, next year, 20 years from now, that Jesus, his son, would take away the sins of the world. Uh, and, and I'm sure had no idea what Jesus would have to go through for that, that Jesus would take a cross, that Jesus would be spit on, that Jesus would uh, be murdered, that all of his blood would be poured out, that his death would pay the debt that was owed for our sin, that the death that we deserve, he would take it on our behalf. And all we have to do is believe in him. All we have to do is believe in him. The gifts that they're given, you know, were very expensive items. Uh, I've even heard, rationalized, read people talking about uh, that the gifts themselves, as great as they were, may not have actually been for them to enjoy the gifts so much as they may have actually been the things that actually helped them to survive by selling them or trading them to get where they were going. Well, where are they going? Let's check that out. Verse 12, it says this. It says, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So first of all, the wise men are wise enough to figure out at this point, Herod wants to kill Jesus. And they're not going back to Herod. Now, in essence, the wise men are in turn putting their lives in jeopardy and, and saying, you know what, I know that we're, we know we're supposed to go back, but the truth is, is we're not going to. We're going to go back to our country and we're going to take the long way home. We're not going to go back through Jerusalem. We're not going to get near Herod. We're just going to, we're just going to, just going to kind of skirt around that whole thing. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their own country by another way. Well, they're not the only ones. So, talked about just a second ago, Joseph and Mary maybe going somewhere else. They didn't stay in Bethlehem, right? You know this, right? Here it goes, verse 13. It says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph 
in a dream and said, Rise, take the child to his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. And Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until, until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Think about it. I mean, there's so many nuances to this. Think about this for just a second. Where, did God's, where were God's people at before they got to the promised land? Egypt. God sent Jesus after he was born to Egypt for this moment in time where Joseph really deserves, let's just face it, like the crown of like greatest hide-and-seek player ever. He, they literally just go to Egypt until Herod dies. Like, we're outlasting you, na-na-na-boo-boo. All part of the plan. All part of another dream. After another dream that the wise men had that they don't need to go see Herod either. I mean, like one dream after another dream after another dream after another dream is God continuing to show his people, this is what I'm wanting you to do. Follow me. I just think back, and I just think about myself, and I think about us, and I think about the things that God puts on our hearts. And I just think, man, I want to be faithful like that. I want to be faithful to God as he puts things on our hearts, as he puts people on our hearts, as we pray and we seek him, as he puts the faces of people in our lives on our hearts, that we would be faithful in following him and loving those people and being like him the best that we can, that we would show Jesus to others. That's such a huge piece for us in this life. The Son of God came in the form of a child. He humbled himself literally to become a baby. How big a deal is that? How big a deal? And, and you know, all through Jesus' ministry, we see him talk about children. I mean, it is a nonstop, all through the deal. I mean, he comes, he humbles himself as a child, but not only does he humble himself as a child, but he tells us that we should be like children. So, Chad, the next time that Jessica says quit acting like a child, say, I'm just trying to be like Jesus, okay? I'm about to give you a scripture. Here it is. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, check this out. In verse 1, it says this. It says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children... You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humbles himself like a child. Humbles himself like a child. Humbles himself like a child. What does that look like for us? Why does Jesus want us to humble ourselves like a child? Him being the one who humbled himself as God and the Son of God to literally come in the form of a child, and now he's in his adulthood teaching us that we should become like children. You know, and, and even the statement that he's saying that shows that he understands what a child would be like, not like he wouldn't since he created everything. 
but that he literally himself is speaking as someone who has been a child, not just God, up in the heavens, but he's saying, humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what does humbles himself like a child mean? And I think this is where we get the idea of childlike faith, that we would follow the Lord like a child follows a parent who loves them, you know? That we would go where he would lead us, that we would believe in what he teaches, you know? I mean, it, it, it's, so, it's so simple. It's so simple for us, but, but we miss it. Not only that, but I, I, think, I, I think there's other pieces of this. I, I, don't, I don't think that I understand all of it by any stretch of the imagination. But there's something about children. I mean, there's just something about children. Um, we had the parenting conference here like two months ago or something like that. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, Paul Tripp talks about uh, and talked about in the parenting conference was talking about, like, kids being kids or whatever. And, uh, and he gave a scenario that was similar to something like what happened in my own home recently and happens at my home on a steady basis, honestly, just to be truthful. Uh, and, and that's that, you know, he's talking about, like, when kids just, you know, are acting crazy, you know, and how, like, sometimes, like, you know, we'll hear our kids doing something down the hall and are supposed to be in bed or whatever, and we're just like, I am about to go down this hall, and when I get down there, I'm going to whoop those kids, you know? And, like, we, we kind of, like, we get, we get, like, we get, like, all, like, worked up and stuff. And then, and then, he, and then you know, Paul David Tripp was talking about in the thing, he was talking about how, like, you know, we get so upset, but we forget they're kids. <laughs> and kids like to have fun. And because a bunch of us have gotten old and forgot what it's like to have fun, in those moments, we just want to do what we've told them to do. And so, like, we, we're not thinking about fun, you know? And so he's, you know, he's kind of making this point, making light of it, and just kind of going, you know, but it's hard for us to make the switch that when that happens in our own homes, that we'll just be able to, like, go, those kids acting crazy again. All right, let's see if we can go, you know, wrangle them in, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so one night, we're in bed, me and my wife, and I can hear, I can hear children jumping up and down on their beds, you know? You know that sound? If you've ever had children's bedrooms above your bedroom, you know that sound. It sounds like nothing else in this world. You know, there, there's, there's nothing else sounds like, and, and I, hear, I hear children jumping on beds, and, I, and apparently they had found boulders to like throw on the floor up there because like we're hearing things, but like they're supposed to be in bed. And Aaron looks at me and she's like, those kids, they're supposed to be, I'm going to, I'm about to go up there. And what are they thinking? And I'm like, I know just, you know, that they're being kids and having fun. maybe." And she was like, stop it. <laughs> and then we laughed, you know, I think there's an element. I think there's an element. And I think Jesus would back me up on this. Is why I don't have any problem saying it. I think there's an element to us remembering that God has called us to have joy in what he's called us to do. And I think a lot of people have lost their joy, not because they're old and they're adults, okay? Like the truth is, is that some of us would like to jump up and down on our beds or at least somebody else's bed, but we're afraid of tearing them up, okay? And maybe some of you got like some really good beds that don't tear up when you jump up and down on them. Let us know. I want the name. 
But the truth is, is that for a lot of people, I think that they've lost their joy. Not because they've gotten older. Not because they've become Eeyore or something. But because they're not serving the Lord and the things that he's called them to do. And that's where we find our joy. We find our joy in serving Jesus. Plain and simple. I've never been more happy in my life than the moments in which I am serving Jesus in doing the things that he's called me to do. But if I look and I examine those things, a lot of those things also were things that looked like crazy things that God called me to be a part of. And I think for a lot of people, they get those things in their heart, they get those things on their mind that God has led them to be a part of or to do or whatever. And then, and then as, as it comes time to like actually like move and act on those things, they don't do it. They don't do it because, because when God sometimes puts those things on our heart, we turn around and go, well, let me check the schedule here. Uh, we, don't, I don't, we don't have any time for that this week. We've got a, yeah, not this month either, probably not the year. Maybe next year we could look at that. And we completely miss what God's called us to do. God doesn't want want that for us. He's giving us opportunities to be a part of his kingdom. He's giving us opportunities to glorify him, to make him known. And when we follow through those things, we find the joy that we had as children. I'll tell you, I, I was counseling with a friend of mine just a couple of weeks ago. And she'd been through some crazy stuff that I didn't even know about. And I, was, I felt so bad. I was apologizing. I'm so sorry. I didn't know that any of this had been going on in your life and so on and so forth. And, uh, and she's like, no, it's okay. And, and after she got done sharing a bunch of stuff, I started sharing a few things myself. I was like, well, let me kind of uh, go along with some of the things you were sharing. Let me tell you something that I've kind of been through that's maybe helped me and maybe it'll help you. And I just kind of explained some of the like, depression I dealt with in the past and some of that kind of thing. And I just told her, I said, you know, one of the things that God has really done in my life and in my ministry, is he's given me opportunities to color outside the lines. You know, not like 24 is not different enough, you know, or whatever, but like there's just something about like God sometimes giving you opportunities to minister in ways that you really enjoy and love. Imagine that, that God would let you do stuff like that, right? But, you know, I, I told her, I said like, you know, simple things like getting to work with our local baseball team, getting to work even with our fire department, which has just kind of begun to happen and some of that stuff. I said, I can just tell and see that God has rejuvenated my joy for loving others and ministering to others and being a pastor in our community. I was like, it, it's just been so good for me. And I said, and, and here's the second I said to her, and like, as I said it, it like kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, I feel like I've just in the last few years started having fun again started having fun again. Who doesn't want to have fun? I mean, come on, you know? Sweaters with Mardi Gras dogs on them and stuff. God wants to use us for his glory. And in doing so, he's calling us 
just as he used the starlight to call those wise men, to, to lead those shepherds, that, that that would lead these people. He, he is calling us and leading us with his word. He is leading us and calling us with the people he's putting around us, that he's putting on our hearts, that we would love and we would minister and we would be him to others. That we too would be light of the world. I'll read this passage. I've read it the last two weeks. I wasn't going to give it up today. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you feel like you're walking in darkness, if you feel like you got old grumpy man syndrome or something, maybe it's because you're not walking in the light of the world. Maybe it's because you're not walking in the light of life. Maybe it's because you're not seeking Jesus. Like, Chris, I'm going to church. That's not the same. It's not the same. Like seeking Jesus, like having a relationship with him, cultivating that relationship. Folks, having tons of biblical knowledge isn't growing in a relationship with Jesus. Growing in a relationship with Jesus is seeking him and allowing him to challenge you and to then use those things that you know from his word, that you might go and be light, that you might love others, that he might change who you are, that he might change, literally change who you are. You're like, well, I don't know if I want him to change who I am. Well, then what are we worshiping? If we're not willing to say, God, you know better than me, you know, you know who I am. I'm, I'm, God, I'll be done with just saying this is who I am and, and it's just the way it is. No, I, I don't think that's what God wants us to do. I think he wants to say, here I am. Mold me, shape me, send me. The light of life. The gospel is the good news of the light. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came down born of a virgin, that he would live the perfect life without sin. This is what makes him the only, the only person that could have ever been the sacrificial lamb to take the death that we deserve on that cross. That when he died, if we believe in him, our sins died with him. But best yet, the grave didn't hold him. And he came back. He defeated that grave, and in defeating death, he brought us life. Folks, he's come to free us. He didn't come, he didn't come with handcuffs. He didn't come with chains. He came, he came with the bolt cutters and said, I'm here to get you out of that stuff, and I want you to have freedom in me, and I want you to enjoy this life. How about, how about we go have some fun for my glory? How about you find joy in me instead of finding joy in everything else. The light of the world came to overcome the darkness that we might have the light of life and be light for all the world to see, that they might know the Son who would save his people from their sins. I'm grateful for the starlight. 
I'm grateful that those guys went. I'm grateful that God would use those wise men to carry those gifts, to take it to them. And I'm almost kind of guessing that they probably did use that stuff to survive, that it got them through. It got them to Egypt. It got them back home after Herod died. I'll tell you what I'm really grateful for. I'm really grateful that nobody in the story said, I don't have time for that right now. (laughs) How would it have changed the story if any one of the bunch just said, I don't think I'm up for following the star. I don't think I'm up for traveling over there. I'm kind of tired of traveling around. Let's just stay here. For us to be able to say, God, your will be done is a huge thing. I'm praying for that. I'm praying for that for our church body. I'm so excited about the things that are happening right now in our church body. I'm so excited about it's, I'm, a, I'm not going to lie, it's hard to keep up with, but I'm so excited about <clears throat> the amounts of text messages I get of people wanting to try to help other people. If I showed you my phone from this week, it feels like nothing but text messages of people just going, hey, I know another family that needs help. Hey, I know this. Or, I mean, it's nuts. And it's awesome all at the same time. But it's going to take us as a body to do it together to love these people, to be the light that he's called us to be. And I'm just praying that God will find us faithful in doing so. Pretty awesome stuff. Pretty awesome stuff that all started with a starlight to a child. Let's pray together. God, we pray you would use us for your glory, challenge us, to be the people you've called us to be. God, I pray for anybody that's never trusted in you as their Savior. God, I pray that today would be the day that they would trust in you to be enough. God, you you sent the one and only that is enough, your son Jesus. God, thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice that you have made for our lives and for our sins, for us to be forgiven. God, we trust in you and believe in you wholly in that today. God, be glorified in us and use us, not just today, but in all days of our life, Lord. May the light shine from us that comes only from you. We love you. In your name we pray, amen.